Ladies and gentlemen, grab your drinks and popcorn. Terry's feature is about to begin. Welcome to Celluloid Codswallop. Hello and welcome to this week's Celluloid Codswall, but it's a slightly different Celluloid Codswall because it's Christmas-based for this episode. And on previous episodes, as our Salty Tadpoles will be well aware, we've covered interesting, unique style, you know, Christmas movies that are not really maybe what you consider a Christmas movie. We looked at things like Batman Returns. And for this episode, I'm joined by the creator the wonderful, the brilliant, the person who frankly makes it all work on this podcast, Gemma, who is not even the co-host, she is, as I said, the creator of Talking Godswallop. Hello, I'm, Gemma. Hello, but I'm the co-host on these episodes, because this is your okay. baby. So that's this why the... I was sitting very, very quietly, and I was being such a good girl then, everybody. Yeah. And just so that everybody knows, James, before, he's, uh, before he starts, he goes... One, two, three, let's go. <laughs> I do, yes, I do. I do what I say. A timing thing to try and help anyone who's having to do uh, uh, the uh, the um, uh, the editing of these things. Ah, so, okay. So, what are you doing the editing for this one? Are you or uh, am no, I no, doing? no? I'll, 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 <laughs> let, I'll let the brains of the organisation do it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Don't go to the monkey. Go to the organ grinder. <laughs> three. I almost feel like you go three, two, and then you're like the silent one. You're like the TV <laughs> presenters do. <laughs> like on, what is it, Wayne's World? What? When he's doing the hand thing, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah. So, what film are we talking about today then, James? Well, we're probably going to get interesting responses to this one, and we're not going to do it as like a complete blow-by-blow. Blow. We're going to discuss all the, the parts that we kind of loved and interested us on this. Um, primarily because it's quite a long film, so mm-hmm. to do a blow-by-blow blow for each scene will take us uh, a while. It's, in fact, a longer film than I ever thought it would be, but we're yeah. going to discuss the ultimate Christmas film, according to some people, mm-hmm. and it's not Batman Returns, and if you dis- I mean, I believe it is Batman Returns. If you disagree, you're wrong. Uh, it is Die Hard. Which mm. I, people, uh, you know, will go on and on about how much it is a Christmas film. And I'm, I can see why, because I guess it's a bit like, you know, kind of like the, uh, the Batman Returns thing that it has, you know, it's set around Christmas. But I feel that we could have two very interesting views on this film. Now, with Die Hard, the interesting thing is it was made in 1988. And as you both know, with Gemma and I being so young, we, we weren't around when this film was made. We, we weren't, we, we were, were but a twinkle in the eye of people. Uh, there's, there, there's no point lying to you. I was, I was too young to see it because I was only four when it came out. And uh, I was only three, and, so yeah. Uh, and G- Gemma lied, she was only one because she's so much younger than me. Um, now... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, now, no, I, I was uh, minus 28. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Tell us the truth, you see. That's the Gemma has been on this with us. But the interesting thing on Die Hard is it's actually based on a book, a novel called Nothing Lasts Forever. 
And the character in the novel was a, was not known as John McClane. He was called Joe Leland. And it wasn't about him coming to... He was still terrorist-based, but he wasn't coming to, to save his wife, who is the, the character that John McClane in this film is, is setting out to try and save, amongst other people. He was actually his daughter. And when this film was first mooted... Actually, what could have happened is it would have probably starred Frank Sinatra. Now, you might think a bit of an odd choice to go with Frank Sinatra, but the reason behind that was is that he played Joe Leland in a film in 1968 called The Detective. So logically, when they wanted to make a sequel, it would have been him, but he passed on it. I mean, he would have been getting on in years by 88. So... For casting it, the the people they initially looked at when it you know it's going to be Die Hard was people like the obvious kind of people like Stallone, Auckland Eastwood, Mel Gibson, Don Johnson, and Schwarzenegger. As I understand, it was even offered the role, but he turned it down so he wanted to do comedy, and he went into making Twins. Um, the 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 interesting thing on this film though is that. We all look at, say, Bruce Willis, who obviously was the person they cast as now being like an action star and being known for that. But at the time, he was a bit of an odd choice because he was predominantly known for making, uh, to be, for being in Moonlighting. So he was basically making like sitcom comedy stuff. So it must have looked a bit odd for them. You know, it's a bit like when they cast Michael Keaton as Batman. He wouldn't have been your obvious choice, but it obviously, it obviously worked. And it, it completely revolutionised the career that, you know, Bruce Willis could have had um, and, and turned him into this massive, well-known, huge movie star and action star. And again, it's seen that shift that you would see from somebody from television as well becoming a film star, which is, it, it's gone a bit weird now in the way things work with people sort of going back, you know, going to film and back to TV or vice versa. It's no longer the, such a, a strange thing to have somebody who's going from one uh, genre to the other. But enough of my wittering on the prehistory of this film. <laughs> I was going to say, am point, I here or yeah, not? <laughs> yeah. up, up to this point, all I will say is, and I'll, I'll, I will be slapped down, I'm sure, by the salty tadpoles and other people. I have never seen this film up until now. No. But I'm going to tell you one really mm. weird thing. We have, I have a, uh, or had a family fan of this film uh, who was a big fan of it. Un unbelievably, it was my grandmother. Oh, really? <laughs> she, lo she loved Die Hard. She was there to answer quite. It's a really good film. You should really watch this, but there is a lot of swearing in it. <laughs> so, yeah. Bit of an odd one. I was saying to my dad about this yesterday. I said, Yeah, we're doing a review of Die Hard. And you'll never guess who liked it. And he went, My mother. I went, Yeah, she really liked Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh <laughs> well that's good <laughs> um yeah this was the first time i'd ever watched it as well because um I, I don't yeah i don't really like action films so probably my review of this film is probably not going to be quite as positive as most people's but purely mm -hmm. i'm sorry also just in case there's any clunking and banging in the background of my audio it is dinner time in the house and uh dinner is being prepped as we speak so uh apologies if you hear any clonking and banging but my bedroom is right next door to the kitchen so i can't really do anything about that but <clears throat> yeah so going back to the film review yeah it, it might be probably on the negative side maybe i've picked you know like i've seen some faults and stuff with the film mm -hmm. and whatnot but at the same time why when you do a movie review do you have to like it you don't have to like it do you 
you know. No, I, we review Catwoman. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We know you don't have to like a film. The yeah. memories, ah. Um. <laughs> I mean, we didn't do it. That was Joanne's no, no. fault, but you know. I know. <laughs> but, you know, we as in the royal we sort of yeah. thing, yeah. yeah. The, 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 uh, the village and family that is Codswallop. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I loved upon watching this film is the fact that one of the first guys you see in it, um, you know, when it comes to the bad guys, because to set the scene, uh, John McClane has turned up um, and he's to, to meet his wife around the Christmas time where she works in the, uh, in the, the I can't remember the name of the office building. That's a very cool, yeah. fancy name. Um, something very Japanese-sounding name. So, so the salty tables will be screaming at whatever they listen to us through. Well, you know, they, just they, if you know it, yeah. you know it. Well done, but yeah. we don't know it right yeah. now, so they're there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we both have long COVID. We have no memories. Uh, we have, we have, uh, goldfish have better short-term uh, and long-term memories than we do. Yeah. But, yeah, interesting, where this was filmed, so John's going to meet his wife in this massive building, mm-hmm. um, and he's even picked up by a limo. You know, he's really impressed by this. He does a very un-limo, you know, pick-up thing, which is he sits in the front and chats to the driver. But, hey, you know. Yeah. Yeah. As he says, it's his first time in a limo. And what I've noticed really, re- what really dates this film is that he can smoke in yes. places. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Like he's smoking like a trooper. I, I was gasping for a fag halfway through, <laughs> or a cigarette, sorry for you American listeners. But um, yeah, I was absolutely gasping. But um, actually, just before we get on to mm. the film, because neither yes. of us had actually seen the film prior, mm. what did you think that the film was about? Did you know much about it? or uh, I, we- I, I, I pretty much knew everything about it through osmosis, because you hear people talk talking about yeah. it so i had a and i did you know a good idea what it was about and you see people posting things about it online all the time mm. um i also and i'm gonna bring this one up from now what i find really interesting is the fact that everyone says it's a christmas film bruce willis himself yeah. in his own comedy roast says it is not a christmas film <laughs> you and your banging tonight as well i hear you tapping your desk yeah, that's me that's me making a point god damn it yeah, yeah. I just wanted to point it out so that everyone knew that that's what that was. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I also agree. It's not a Christmas film. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stick with that. I'm not going to bow down to anybody. The reason why I say that, (laughs) the reason why I say that it's not a Christmas film is because this is the kind of film that you can watch any month. So you could watch it in June. You could watch it in August. You could. You could. You know, but equally and you're probably not going to like this but the batman film that you watch at christmas equally you could watch i can understand that yeah so but if you were to watch santa claus the movie in july you'd feel like a dickhead so that is a christmas film do you know what i mean something that you feel really stupid watching in on another month that isn't the designed month Sort of like a what for me, it's like watching a Christmas Carol or Scrooge or It's a Wonderful Life. Those are the sort of films that to me are really Christmassy. Yeah. That I will that I, I will you know, watch every year regardless. Uh, along with Batman, but Batman uh, sorry, Batman Returns. But yeah, we'll part that one to one side. But yeah, the specifically, yes, Christmas based films. Yeah. It's a bit like the strange I mean, you are on something with like saying about Batman Returns and this. 
it's a bit like some of the songs that are allegedly, you know, quote unquote Christmas songs mm-hmm. that are, but because they have maybe one small element. Is it Stop the Cavalry has one little line? Yeah. So you get to, it's got a bell in it. Christmas. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, it's weird. It, it's weird the way way things can go on stuff like that. Um, mm. But no, so, my, yeah, but oh, sorry, I was going <clears> to <throat> say just before. Um, yeah, I d- I didn't know really much about this film at all, apart from you know that I knew that it was going to be pew 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 pew, lots of guns. Um, what Star Wars? <laughs> pew 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 pew, <laughs> bang 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 bang. Um, and uh, yeah, I I knew that. Bruce Willis was in it um, and I knew that he was saving his wife from something but I didn't really know what and I knew that he'd be in an air vent because I'd seen a gif, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And yippee ki motherfucker, you know? <laughs> Such profanity. I told you she swore but none of you believe me. Um, but no. But it, it was an interesting thing though when you saw kind of like a shift for, as I was saying it, for like the way the, the people who were cast in these films because like you have Alan Rickman now at this point mm. I mean it pretty much turned Alan Rickman's career into that of someone who played villains but um, you know he was, he was in his 40s it was kind of like I think one of the first big films he was ever cast in where he's playing the main uh, to give it away because we're mm-hmm. not going in order you know he's playing the main villain in this uh, and the entire the, the the purpose of all these people is they've gone into the the tower to basically uh, get f- money and items from the safe of the owner of the man who who runs the whole business, this Japanese businessman. Yeah. Now, interesting for the building it's in. A bit of further information I found out on doing research is the actual building is the Fox Plaza building, and to link it to another cool film that was uh, that was filmed there is Airheads. Uh, oh, I love Fraser that film. Yeah. Yeah. And, he said, and I watched an interview with Brendan Fraser uh, and Adam Sandler, and they both said that it was, they were more excited by the fact they were filming the, in the Fox Plaza Die Hard building mm. than anything else. <laughs> no, I love that film. That's probably the one and only Adam Sandler film that I absolutely, absolutely love. But uh, yeah, that's an amazing film. Can we do that one instead? Uh, maybe another time. Okay. Another an absolutely brilliant film of Adam Sandler was Uncut Gems. If you ever get a chance no, to see it. that, it, yeah. it, that is a hell of a good film. That's him doing uh, straight acting in it. But we've digressed. We have. Tadpoles. But we've die-hard-gressed. We have die-hard-gressed, but would it be? She's very good, isn't she? No. Very good. I mean, you think she runs her own podcast. I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we we have digressed, which we'll always do when it comes to doing uh, the the Selway Codswold reviews. But one of the things I absolutely loved on the star of this film is you see one of the the the, the bad guys, the terrorist, the tall tall blonde guy, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I know that man, and that is Andrus Vizinski, who was in my ultimate favourite. Bond film and one of my all-time favourite films, The Living Daylights, playing the bad guy in that. And I was lucky enough to meet him a couple of years ago. Really nice guy. He's been in this, The Living Daylights, Mission Impossible films. Yeah, always playing somebody of a dubious nature, so it must go with it. Yeah. Uh, also German as well. So you know, yes. obviously a well, bad he's guy. Aus- he's Austrian. He's oh. Austrian. Well, um. sorry. <laughs> okay, Austrian German. They're also always going to be a bad guy, aren't they? But I know, initially, it's terrible. It's it's terrible, isn't it? The way yeah, uh, <laughs> the way the cast. I know it's awful. But you know what? With that thought in mind, because we were going into a Japanese building, mm-hmm. I instantly thought 
that the Japanese people were actually going to... Because, I, again, I knew nothing. Um, mm-hmm. I did the stereotypical thing of assuming that the Japanese would be the terrorists in the um in the film because it's of that time when there's sort of like mm. Japanese were actually always the like terrorists sort of thing. So I thought that was quite a fun twist that it actually, you know, that it actually wasn't them, you know. But uh yeah. <laughs> and I think it but I think it's also interesting for the time. Certainly in the eighties the Japanese you know, the Japanese economy was kind of booming. Mm. They kind of brought themselves back from pretty much annihilation following the Second World War and probably the film was maybe building on the fears a bit for the Americans that the the Japanese could overtake them because they were producing things like watches, most of the technology that was going out to places and it is obviously shown within the film isn't it because at the start mm. they're saying yeah we've got all this stuff we're incredibly successful they're buying rolexes for uh, for their for their staff uh, so they're obviously doing very well but it's yeah for me i mean i said this to you yesterday in jest but to be honest looking at the the apart from rickman looking at the majority of the bad guys in this the german terrorists i could if they ever want to remake this film be one of the german terrorists yeah. <laughs> i'm tall i have blonde hair <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cast blue me. Eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, blue eyes, I'm and ju- yeah, yep. you're also part German, so there you go. I am part German, so please, people, cast me. But I don't want to. I want to last a bit longer than Andreas character. I don't want to be shot in the uh, in the lift uh, with the the infamous scene because what happens is John has to it, the terrorists are smashing everything to smithereens. They're getting shot, and John. Uh, manages to get out the... He was cleaning himself up in the room and he gets out and he's basically... He has to take on the terrorists. Only one man can do this and it's John McClane, minus yeah. his shoes. Ugh. Yeah, because he was fe- he was feeling <laughs> the carpet, wasn't he? Like uh, he was recommended to do from the guy on the aeroplane. Um, yes. <sighs> Well, I, gonna... I, I could never, before I saw the film, I could never ever get my head around, like, why is John, whenever I'd seen pictures, I'm like, why does John McClane have no shoes on? <laughs> why are his feet cut to ribbons? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it definitely makes more sense now that we actually know that yes. part. Yeah. I, do you know what, though? For, if he's, yeah, if he's supposed to be um, like a New York City cop, though, which he is, yeah. Yeah. it's, the way he's walking around with the gun and stuff like that and he's just like mm. it just seems so to me it seems so fake and forced mm. it didn't seem like he was i i don't know if it's because of his acting or whatever but it, none of this film s- sort of felt like it blended together you know everything set, felt yeah. like they were doing their own separate thing but combined if that makes sense and uh well, Gemma, i'm i'm more impressed by the fact that he could even walk because <laughs> if you think about it he's got no shoes on his feet get cut to ribbons by glass he'd be crippled yeah <laughs> that, that's at the end though that's not at the yeah. uh or in the you know sort towards the end that's not i'm talking about in the beginning so like when he mm. found out that you know there was terrorists and stuff like that he mm. was just like oh first of all he was like oh god don't you know like i've got to sort this out then have i you know blah 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 um but then he was also yeah it was just when he was walking around and he was sort of like i don't know it's almost it just i don't know something just really annoyed me Mm. not annoyed me but just took me out of it you know kind of thing it's the fact that it wasn't really it didn't feel like it was a proper action film 
to me. It, it almost felt like a bit like a spoof action film. So I don't know if it was supposed to be. I, I mean, it was kind of... Str- I mean, I know, obviously, it's, you've got to completely, you know, suspend disbelief for this thing, but it's yeah. always kind of strange, like, when it comes to, like, a door. This is very early on with the terrorist, when he opens one of the fire doors and sees a terrorist going along and then closes the door. I, I find it hard to believe that the terrorist would not hear the door opening and closing and turn around and just shoot him. Yeah, exactly. Or at least go and investigate or something, yeah. you know? But, and... and um yeah, I was going to say, even, and like, I love Alan Rickman, but even Alan Rickman couldn't save this film for me. Mm. Sorry. I, I have, like I said, I've come from a negative point of view with this film. I really didn't like it. So, uh, you know, but I, there were, <laughs> there were snippets that I liked, though. Yeah. There wasn't, you know, I didn't absolutely hate this film, but yeah. I definitely, yeah. Even like I said, Alan Rickman's accent, and you know, he was trying to do like it felt like an almost like a German accent, but he wasn't yeah. really pulling it off. Well, it, it on that it's interesting because his accent is a he's trying to sound German, and he kind of does, but doesn't. But then there's a point where again was going to spoil it for you because everything's go everything's going mad you know uh, McLean's killed uh, Andrew Fazinski's character and got his machine gun and then yeah. there's a point later on where um Rickman pretends not to be I mean it's kind of it makes sense because he's dressed in a suit so he he, he blends in yeah. but he pretends to be just a person who's been held hostage yeah. and then changes his accent I thought is he meant to sound English is it his natural accent but then he started getting like weird American almost inflections I'm like where is he actually supposed to be I know he's just pretending not to be one of the German terrorists but yeah. it, it doesn't make a lot of sense it's kind of weird I mean he's good in it uh, as I said it, it set the entire template for him to be a villain yeah. <laughs> in a lot of future things yeah um, but then but it was just very strange like that. Yeah, I, it's just because I've seen him in a lot of things. Like I've seen mm. him in, um, was it Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, was it? That's the, yeah, 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 that was one of his big ones, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he did a phenomenal job in that. But yes. he was just using his own voice, you know what I mean? Yes. And yeah. that is what makes Alan Rickman is his own voice, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's got amazing acting as well. Mm-hmm. But in this film, it he... He sounded like he, like as, like we said, he sounded like he was like talking with his normal accent, but with a slight German accent. But then he'd lose it halfway through, and then it was like, it, it, it yeah, it was just his voice was all over the place, wasn't it? But yeah. I don't know if that's because I'm so used to hearing his normal voice. Uh, I'm not. I mean, I'm not shocked. It's like the same kind of strange accent thing you get that a bit with Jeremy Irons when he's in playing. When he's trying to put on an accent so when he tries to do an American accent. He's he's actual slip noticeably and it's interesting that I mention Heinz because he's in the third Die Hard film oh I'm not um, watching that okay James no, no he's in the third <laughs> Die Hard film playing a uh, uh, a relative of of uh, Alan Rickman he's playing Alan Rickman's character's brother so oh okay interesting oh, interesting there yeah um, I, but I find like certain things strange in this film that like there's a part where Bruce Willis uh, you know McLean bursts through a door and there's like uh, nudie posters on the wall and he speaks to the posters why yeah yeah or he <laughs> what was that all about i know and then he he like touches it every single time he goes past it as well if you notice as well he either touches it or looks at it every time he goes past it unless he thinks it's a good luck charm or something yeah um, that's kind of what I, I wondered 
I, I particularly enjoyed, though, the, the fact that obviously, you know, you see McLean taking down them, you know, taking out the terrorists. and But he, he does have, what I like in this is he does get a buddy who's just a normal beat cop. Yeah. Um, whose car gets shot to smithereens, who is played by Reginald Val Johnson, yeah. who is just, I love that guy. He's brilliant in this film. He, he's just, all the other things you see him in are great. But guess what? I can do a link to other films. Oh, I'm, good. I can. Are you ready for this? Okay, so, as long as we can go back to the budding relationship between the, uh, the beat cop and... Okay, we cool. can. <laughs> go <So> on, then. <laughs> Reginald Val Johnson uh, and uh, Willem van Homburg and William Atherton all have a massive link. They're all in this film and they all have a link. And the link is they're all part of the Ghostbusters franchise. Ah, Reginald Val Johnson and William Afton are in Ghostbusters 1, and Willem von Homburg, who's one of the German terrorists, is the major bad guy in Ghostbusters 2. Okay, but, but you know, that's not a DC link, so nobody cares. Um... <laughs> well, be careful what you wish for, oh, people. bugger. <laughs> I knew that there would be one somewhere, because you get excited. Um... There are other, there may be other links to other films in this. Da-da-da. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, yeah, I'm I mean to be fair that poor that poor cop oh um, yeah yeah, yeah uh, i don't know any of the names so sorry but um yeah yeah so john mclean is trying to get the attention of all the the cops he's uh, gone mm. up on the roof at one point and he's using a walkie-talkie and uh speaking to <laughs> this was one bit i actually quite liked he was <laughs> uh, he's speaking to um the operator and he's like well what the fuck does it sound like i'm ordering a pizza <laughs> <laughs> when he's trying to get them to uh, come over and, you know, yeah, he set the fire alarm off and he, they've turned away the, the uh, you know, the fire brigade. So, you know, he's trying as much as he can to actually get the mm. attention of, uh, you know, the authorities sort of thing. So he hasn't got to do it on his own. So, you know, I, I did quite like that bit and how, you know, all of a sudden because of the gunshots, she was like, oh, yeah, I better get someone to come to you then. <laughs> What thicko? But, but it's the fact that also he end, he shoots up the car, doesn't he? Yeah, that's what Trying, I was just going to go into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, yeah. So finally, they send over this um, this cop that's just brought up a load of pork scratchings, I think, or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all his food goes over him. But yeah, yeah bless him. And oh, I thought that cops only at donuts. Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of a line, but not a very uh, good accent. But um, yeah, and I uh, guess yeah, so. Basically, John McClane's like shooting the uh, the cop car, and uh, he's he's throwing a dead body at it, you know, kind of thing, just to get the attention. Finally, people start turning up. But I really liked <laughs> I really liked the relationship between. Um, yes. I can only remember John McClane's name. So John McClane and uh, the police officer down yes. on the the ground you know they they were you know like they like almost like you could see like the budding uh yes friendship growing between the two of them you know well, so. it's also the fact that you know again you get one because obviously it's known for its line you know the um but the, the the welcome to the party pal line which is the one that's kind of like off quoted for this film is after he sh- after mclean shut up the car um it's a hell of a way to get someone's attention, but I'll give them I'll give them marks for that one. It's, uh, it certainly works. 
It does. It does, definitely. And and the whole time that the limo driver's there as well and he just doesn't hear any of it because he's out in the he's up in the back yeah. having a party yeah. himself. Yeah. <laughs> I liked him. I liked the limo driver and I liked the um the cop. But uh yeah. No other characters thought, really stuck out to me. I always thought it was mad though how like how like McLean actually I mean, obviously, it's just to move the plot forward, but right at the start of the film, I was answering all these questions. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than just going, get lost, which is what you think you'd probably do. Stop being so nosy. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're introduced to, um, well, I know him as the headmaster from The Breakfast Club. Um, Paul Gleason, yes. Paul Gleason, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, oh my God, all I need him to do now is just go, you know, like, do the metal salute. Yeah. And it's like, what, what is he saying? I've forgotten it right now, but um, don't in, don't in mess with the bull or you'll get the horns, yeah. you know. Don't mess with the bull, young man, or you get the horns. Yeah. I was like, oh, please say that. But I guess, you know, it was a bit early but, for him to say that. But, you know, there we have it. But it... But it is brilliant within this film for again the number other number of people you see. So you've got William Atherton who plays slimy Walter Peck in Ghostbusters, but in this plays like a slimy reporter. Yeah. And then you've also got and I can't remember the lady's name, but she's one of the news she's one of the newsreaders on this. Yeah. Uh, a blonde lady, and she's known for being in things like Scrooge. She was in that. She was also in the Lethal Weapon films, playing a psychiatrist. Can you so stop just banging? A number of people. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting passionate emphasising my point. The, no, the, good the number you of people, yeah, I'll try. The number of people who were uh, involved in it. But interesting with Paul Gleason's character, the basis I can review for this film said he's one of these people. All he is is his character works as a placeholder to seem incompetent and make things difficult for the people yeah. around him. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Because I think I think this film basically proves how mm-hmm. or not proves, but shows how ridiculous, maybe of the time, I'm not speaking of nowadays because I, I don't know confidently to speak about it, but how bad it is that, you know, how how awful the um, the cops and authorities are in, you know, in America at the time, at least anyway, because obviously they're just shown as absolutely incompetent. They have no idea what they're doing. They've got one person in the building who's actually doing everything rather than, you know, actually the the 100 people that are down on the ground. And um, and then you've got the FBI turning up, who are absolutely ridiculous as well. And I just... love the FBI in this. I think they're brilliant. <laughs> they're just going all guns blazing, just like, screw the lot of you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, if we only kill 25% of the hostages, then that's a good day, right? Um, but you've got to admit that that actually shows probably quite a logical and realistic approach to dealing with it. You know, you've got to yeah. work out the disaster management approach. Yeah, exactly. And then, yeah, there was another... What was the other group? Oh, the, the, the news reporters. Oh, yeah, that's at Atherton, yeah. William Atherton. He yeah. does a very good running playing slimy people. He's very good. Yeah, but he completely, like, you know, at one point nearly screwed it all up because he went and mm. uh, got an interview with the children, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you never put the, you know... If, if you no, find out there's hostages, you never put the children on the TV, you know. But apparently you do. <laughs> so it was just, it was showing a lot of uh, incompetence outside of the building, I have to say. So, and... Well, uh, I, 
Interesting that you mentioned the FBI people, and I, I like this very much because I can bring another link in. So we've had Andrew Straczynski, but also the two people who turn up for the FBI are played by Robert Darby and Grandel Bush. And how do all these three people interlink, you wonder? They are all, char- they, you know, two of them were the villains, which is Robert Darby and, uh, and uh, Andrew Straczynski were the villains for Timothy Dalton when he was Bond in his films, and Grandel Bush was like, he's uh, one of the guys who tried to help him. So, again, th- and they would have, certainly for Grandel Bush and Robert Darby, they would have made um, License to Kill around the same time. And in this, the playing people, shut up! Anyone this, else bored out who, there? <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to say, uh, uh, all I'll say is this, fork you all, fork you all real good. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear a piggy or something snorting. <laughs> I'm not a pig. <laughs> I just eat a lot. <laughs> no, that's. Uh, I suppose we should have allowed you to carry on with your sentence. Yes. But just to say, they would have been probably making that around the same time, kind of time. But yeah. don't. But keep, you know, wait, salty tadpoles. I've got the ultimate link. Okay, we'll later. get on with it. Just do it now. <laughs> okay. I, 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 no, no, I'm not. I'm gonna. I want us to keep talking about the film. I'm gonna okay. wait until the end. <laughs> oh, good. I can't wait. <laughs> Go on then. Where are we going now? Well, then? It's, well, it's also like you talk about the strange elements of this film. It's like I do like when McLean's like basically his feet have been ripped to smithereens. Yeah. And he seems to think he's actually going to be able to jump through a window. Now, bear in mind, this is a skyscraper. You know when he jumps out the window? Yeah. Using a hose, a hose, a fire hose. Yes. That's his after, obviously, he's bumped into uh, what's his face? Where, you know, um, Rickman, where, when he thinks he's a good guy. What at what what logical point do you think he's going to get his bloodied ripped to pieces feet through? I mean, the, again, the FBI have slightly made things a bit more interesting. They've been shooting everything to pieces, but you know, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because he he actually um he jumps initially from the roof, doesn't he? Yes. And um yeah, and he's got it all tied around his waist, and he thinks yeah, and he's got he's got his machine gun. So I've I've got a machine gun now. Ho ho ho. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a line from the film. Um. But yeah, he's he's like. But then also he's like, "All oh, right, so I need to be on the thirtieth floor. So this hose pipe is going to be absolutely long enough for me to <laughs> actually get through the window of the thirtieth floor." <laughs> it's exactly what he's obviously thinking. Um, mm. So don't know if he actually made the thirtieth floor. I assume he did because it seems like you know everything worked out in the way he wanted it to. But uh, yeah, you're right. How was he going to get through that window? He wasn't just going to smash through with his. Uh, he does seem to think he can do it, though, doesn't he? He's yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's whacking his feet against it. Like, dude, ain't going to happen. No. Not in this lifetime, not ever. You could no. probably spend the next 10 years jumping against the window and it'd still resist. Yeah, and then he's like, oh, look, I've got this machine gun. Yay. So, you know, he uses that. And uh, funny enough, the glass then breaks. And, uh, yeah. And he's got blooded feet at that point as well. Uh, ah. Bloody feet at that point as well, because they're shooting the windows, aren't they? The bad guys are yeah, shooting and the, the windows. Glasses going everywhere. Yeah. But it, it, it's a horrible point when he also starts pulling the glass out of his Ooh, feet later yeah. in the film when he's in the bathroom and he's on the radio to his buddy. Yeah. <laughs> and like, there's, there's just like trails of blood everywhere that I'm pretty sure are from him because he has to start binding his feet. 
Yeah, yeah, Luke. absolutely. Um, and yet the bad guys can't find him. There's a trail of blood on the floor, yeah. but the bad guys can't find him. I mean, are they blind? <laughs> it's like, <Clearly>. seriously. <laughs> but but again, I'm just sorry, I got my oldest sight wrong, but this is when the FBI come in and do what the FBI do best, which is go bollocks to this and just start shooting up the windows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, oh, it's not the FBI that do that, is it? I thought it was the... Yeah, yeah. Oh, because no, the, the FBI are in the helicopters and they go up, basically start like shooting because they're trying to basically resolve, quote unquote, resolve the situation. Oh, OK. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe I'm just missing. Uh, yeah. Maybe I blanked out of that part then. But uh, <laughs> sorry, as soon as it gets really actiony, I'm just like, oh, God, here we go again. But yeah, I can't I can't keep my attention span very well with an action film because it just unless it's like a martial arts kind of one, you know, a bit like the Crow World sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I can't really keep. What, you mean you mean do you mean the Raven? Um. Yeah, the Raven. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> but no, yeah, action films are just not for me, not for me at all. So, but you know, unless there's somebody actually being killed in it, because I love a horror film, so you know that that's fine. That's a fine kind of action, but otherwise, nah, not for me. To be fair, quite a few people did get killed in this film, so you should. I'm sure you enjoyed that. Yeah. I mean, the fact that McLean hasn't even died from blood loss. I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like when the German came through where all the hostages were and he was like absolutely furious and his and uh, John McClane's wife goes oh good John's still alive because <laughs> only See, only um only someone would be that pissed off if they haven't yeah. killed someone <laughs> See, I got it I got my other slightly wrong what it was actually an explosion was triggered by um by uh Gruber, the bad guy, and by Hans, uh, you know, who's. But then what happens is that the, the, they're going to take a shot, the FBI, Robert Darby's character, and the explosion sends him off Kilter. And that's when, uh, you know, McLean thinks that his feet are strong enough to break through glass. It yeah. ain't going to happen. But interestingly, so this is the one I was going to say for the NBA, and I'm going to go with it now. So there's a guy who gets shot in this film, it's off by uh, Hans Gruber, and he's someone who clearly has designs on uh, on John McLean's uh, strange wife, uh, uh, you know, one of the other businessmen. And he ends up getting shot because he's trying to pass himself off as being John's friend, and uh, Gruber shoots him in the head. And that, that man was played by Hart Bochner. And ready, this is the part I know you've all been waiting for. Gemma's been waiting with oh, bated breath. I really one. have. I can't wait, yeah, honestly. She has. She has. She, if she, she may pass out with the excitement. Uh, I de- 100% I'm going to. So take a deep breath. Are you ready? I found... I found I got my inhaler D- ready. Yep, yep. I found a DC link. No way. Okay. No I did. way. I did. I did. I, I didn't even have to work hard for this one. So Hart Bochner was, he played Councilman Arthur Reeves in Mask of the Phantasm. There you go. Boom, you've been served. DC Link. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Sorry, hands up any of the lids, any of the salty tables as you give a shit right now. Sean, Sean, you better get Sean, Sean, you Sean, Sean, you better get your bloody hands up. <laughs> even they don't care. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I don't even care if they don't care. I would pretend they care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This film was quite long, though, wasn't it? Like, it's over two hours. 
Yeah. I don't know I if it needed... didn't think it'd be that long. Yeah, I didn't think it needed to be quite that long. I th- feel like there was probably bits that could have been cut out of this film. I Maybe. bet there's a director's cut that's even longer than this. Yeah. <laughs> That'll probably be coming out sometime soon. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even we haven't even covered the fact that, you know, the Japanese guy who's in charge actually got killed at the beginning. So we should have maybe have, you know, yeah, you know R.I.P. Japanese survive, guy. We're not going to keep him alive, are they? <laughs> nah. No, they were trying to get the passwords, uh, passwords and codes and whatnot for the vault uh, that had about seven layers, I think it was. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, they managed to get through all seven layers. And, um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, they died trying because they didn't get any of the money in the end. So, uh, yeah, 600 million, it, I think it was going to be or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. And the ending, uh, the ending's always, uh, you know, you know, to skip ahead. Obviously, the ending's interesting because like, it looks like McLean's basically got no weapons. He's going to, you know, the end is nigh. And obviously, because of the actions taken by William Atherton as the uh the reporter they managed to work out that you know who his wife and kids are and all that and who they did yeah. so they're holding the wife hostage and uh the the famous thing is like you know bruce manages to shoot him so he's got a gun taped to his back and then the thing that they're always going on about they, they've even created a um an advent calendar from this that you'll see popping up in places where it's you know uh hans gruber dropping down the various levels because he gets shot. If manage that won't kill him. I mean, logically, you'd think being shot would finish him off. Yeah. But oh no, he falls through a window. Yeah. Um, he manages to grab onto you know Mrs. McLean's arm. Yeah. And oh, her bracelet. Gonna, uh, yeah. Well, no, it's actually her Rolex. So oh, he, okay. It, 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 it supposedly has some sort of massive link to the fact that it's all about consumerism on this scene, allegedly. Okay. So. That he's gonna go and shoot it, uh, shoot McLean and the wife, and he, you see it in slow motion. And you know they managed to undo the Rolex she was given by Hart Bochner, and he then falls to his um, his death in glorious slow motion. I burst out laughing at this scene when he when he started when he started falling in his faces mm. that he was pulling, going. <laughs> I was well, absolutely roaring with laughter. I thought it was well, the funniest thing I saw. <laughs> I'm sure that McTiernan will be really happy about that directed it because from what I understand, it was like a really weird thing to shoot. They had they dropped um Rickman off you know, something of height to hit yeah. one of those like inflatable things. And it had to be set up in a really specific way so they could keep him in focus. It was like a really hard shot, but it brought you happiness and humour. That's did. all that matters. And then when um, when uh, I think it was Paul Gleason's character goes, God, I hope that's not a, not a hostage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I get the impression that Paul. I kind of had a bit of sympathy for Paul Gleason's character. I suspect he's under an awful lot of stress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And well, this is mm-hmm. all going on though. Yep. The limo driver. He, oh god yeah <laughs> he's still there in the back seat yeah. all of a sudden he kind of realizes he goes huh i think he hears it on the radio or something like that that mm-hmm. you know there's actually hostages and you know where he's uh where he's actually you know situated kind of thing and he sees a van pull up 
with uh, you know one of the baddies in it. It's and their he, IT guy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he he's actually probably the cleverest of the bad guys, really, to be honest, because he managed to get through all seven. I think it was seven layers of the vault, and um, yeah, he smashes the limo into the side of the van and uh, jumps out and smacks him in the face doesn't he so uh mm. yeah it, even though he's only got like three scenes he's actually yeah. a hero <laughs> well, they make, yeah he becomes a bit of an action character in it but it's yeah. like the whole ending's kind of weird so mclean leaves with the wife and he's got out the building and he's like a bloody mess and he meets up with um uh, Val, uh, Reginald Val Johnson's character, who's been the the guy who's been basically the death sergeant guy, who's been like working to help him throughout. Who I've gathered had it maybe been demoted or something because he'd shot a kid. There's something about that if I remember is like a backstory. Yeah, um, he said that he accidentally shot a 13 year old because he um, a 13 year old kid because he thought that the toy gun that they had was actually a real yeah. gun. So yeah, that was that was so, quite sad. That was quite mm. hard. Well, like heartwarming in a sad way, you know, mm-hmm. not heartwarming in a nice way, obviously. Um, but it was nice that they were sort of sharing stories of, mm. you know, and it, you know, that yeah. I I feel I feel as though maybe in the next two films, I will never know because I'm never going to watch them. But that hopefully their friendship grows and grows and grows. You I, know? B- I believe he's in the sequel, but I don't think he's in any of the others. Um, okay, but but. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like weird because like Paul Gleason's character comes up and starts giving. Uh, well, sorry, no. First thing they do is they hug each other. Yeah, uh, which is understandable. But you're almost in the way it was shot. Almost looked like it could be like you know like two people who are in love. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this seems to be going on, and I get they've been through a lot together. This hug's going on quite a long time. If yeah. this was a man and a woman, they'd be kissing at this point. But anyway. Yeah. Hey, it's the 21st century. You know, we can't, you know, we've got to judge it all, all it, nice and good. But it wasn't then. No, it wasn't. It was the 20th century. But anyway, so, and then Paul Gleason comes up and starts giving him crap. And I just feel that that was a oh, scene yeah. they wanted, because they wanted to, it, 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 to me, it's a pointless scene. It's just like, oh, crap, we've got to make him look a bit more bureau, a bureaucratic, sorry, and, uh, yeah. and like, you know, wrong. So we'll do that. And then, like, you know, obviously he's giving him crap, saying about property destruction stuff. Yeah. And then he looks like he's going to go and punch him. And then another terrorist appears and... And then, obviously, you know, Reginald Val Johnson's character redeems himself even more by shooting the correct bad guy yes. rather than some kid. And uh, and then it goes to William Atherton, the slimy, horrible, nasty reporter who gets clocked by... Uh... <laughs> by Mrs. Yeah, yeah, by the wife. I like that scene as well. <laughs> Girl power. I, I, also found, I also found it amusing that the FBI characters, you know, the, the Robert Darby and Grandel Bush characters are called Big Johnson and Little Johnson. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's no, no, not that Johnson, the other Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the way that within the film they just come there like, yeah, screw the lot of you. This is what you need. They're just like straight in. She's FBI matter now, piss off. Yeah. <laughs> no, like I said, there were certain parts of this film that I really liked, but it, it still felt really stiff. It just mm. felt really like the acting just felt very, very stiff, like... I don't know. It just no. This film wasn't for me, a hundred percent. Yeah. So, it, but you know, it, it, it's interesting to think though that like 
if you look at Bruce Willis, he doesn't look like I know, like in the eighties, most of the action stars like huge pumped up, roided looking guys, mm. which he isn't in this, is he? You know, he's a guy who's he's got some muscles, but he's not like a freakishly large muscular guy. His hairline's no. receding, and uh, he, he he would obviously, you know, considering he worked in like sort of like doing moonlighting stuff prior to this, he wouldn't have been your your, your original sort of expected choice. So. It was quite funny when I watched a program about the eighties where they said like kids would be going into barbers saying I want to have hair like Bruce Willis and the people would be like, No, he's going bald, kid <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you definitely don't want that hairdo. No. no you don't want that hairstyle. Give it a few years and you might be able to pull it off, but not right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I'm just trying to think if there's anything else profound that really happened in this film. Um I mean, people might be screaming at us, but, you know, sorry. We're probably out. We're probably now on, like, someone's hate list. Oh, you know, <laughs> get your own podcast. Um, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm joking. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, well, yeah, it was just like the limo driver turns up again at the end, doesn't he? So it's, uh, yeah. and he's like, oh, no, no, he's he's not a bad guy. He's with me, you know. Um, and the teddy's fine. Thank God the teddy's yeah. fine. <laughs> the th- yeah. Thank now, God. <laughs> to, to stop anyone getting even more upset, the building is named the Nakatomi Plaza in this film. Ah, uh, I was going to say at the end as a joke, but now you, you kind of ruined it for me, but I'm still going to say it anyway. I was like, so there you go, Salty Tadpoles. James knows all of the actors' names, but he doesn't know what the building's called. But now you've now, made it. No, it's... I didn't know what the building was called. I had to look for it. So. I thought, yeah, I thought so. I thought you just had a little Google. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, the question I always ask at the end of the uh, the Cellular Cobbs, Codswallop runs Cops. is, what would you... Co- Codswallop? Yeah, yeah, the film is... is, is I'm, I'm that traumatised from watching Bruce Willis's bloodied and destroyed feet. Um, <laughs> what, what would you give this out of ten? I'm only going to give it a one. Wow, you and must really hate this film. <laughs> do you know what? Actually, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to give it a two, but okay. I can't give it any higher than a two because there were a couple of moments that I really did like. So, you know, a point for each moment, I suppose. <laughs> but no, I really, I really did not like this film. So, uh, but yeah, how many, how many out of 10 would you give it, James? Uh I don't know, I couldn't, uh, rather like you, I couldn't, maybe I wasn't in the right frame of mind, but I couldn't get as invested in it as I thought I would do for this film. Mm. Um, I'll probably give it a five, so we've gone right down the middle. And most of that is because I I was like, I know that person, I know that person. This person (laughs) was one of my my other favourite films. I love it, yeah. Um, Simply All these people went on to do a much better film than this one. (laughs) Well, it was this weird thing where I started thinking, well, this person went on to this, 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 they want to do other stuff, yeah. Uh, Probably that's what I've got most enjoyment out of it, just spotting people from other, who've gone into other franchises that I like. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, absolutely. Like... Like I said, I've I've pointed out the bits I really liked, to be honest. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I I just, I found a lot of it ridiculous. You know, a lot of it like, Mm -hmm. well, that would never happen. Or not not because I'd never been in that situation kind of thing, but it's like, well, that would never happen. Like when he had, when he was trying to shimmy down the um, lift, thing yeah. and he had his big machine gun you know like and he was holding onto the strap and there was like no way he's gonna f- 
bloody be able to uh, catch that shelf thing, you know, or whatever he was aiming for. And it's like, well, oh, of course he does, because, you know, it's but, a movie. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, know. let's be honest, he'd be dead within under five minutes, because as yeah. I said, the, if he'd survived as long as getting to that door, I still believe that when the door opened, someone would have gone, hey, what the hell is that? And shot him. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah exactly. And that was like the first scene. So, you know... <laughs> well near enough anyway but you know yeah it's not a christmas film folks um feel free to watch it at christmas if you are a diehard fan literally a diehard of diehard diehard fan of diehard yeah yeah, and you love christmas and you love watching it as your tradition for christmas you carry on with that tradition because there's nothing wrong with that but it isn't a christmas film i have to reiterate um, again, you could watch it in June, you could watch it in July, you could watch it in September, you know, so forth. It, yeah, it doesn't seem like well, a stupid film to watch at any other time of the yeah, year. It, so. it, it, it's also one of these strange things that, it, it, rather like Batman Returns, this is another film that, while set at Christmas, was actually released in the summer. It's mm. the weirdest of things. I, could, I mean, like, I know we're going off topic of when Batman Returns. Other than the fact that obviously they're thinking, and probably the same thing with this, summer blockbuster will we'll, we'll go big with it and make money. Yeah. It would have made more sense to really to release this and Batman Returns at Christmas, and then you've got a specific link to it. But hey, Stop what do tapping. we know? <laughs> what do we know? We didn't make it. So uh, ha- I'm going to also ask the other question I like to ask of uh, the, the, the co-host guest, whatever, who's on this when we're discussing films, which is if you could make it better, what would you have done? What would I have done? Burnt the script? <laughs> Ooh. Wow, can you feel it? Can you feel people, the rage, the hatred that Gemma feels for this film? <laughs> I mean, there's probably, I mean, I wouldn't burn the script. You know, somebody's worked hard on that, you know, kind of thing. So I think that the thing that I think would make this better is that mm-hmm. if the characters actually, or the actors of the characters, actually kind of meshed. And, and that's what I felt was missing in this film, is that, I mean, obviously it's a good guy, bad guy situation, so mm-hmm. they're not going to get on, but they need to have some sort of, like, interaction kind of thing that mm-hmm. doesn't seem like, you know, kids at a playground sort of having a little fight, you know what I mean? It's like, or, you know... Or, you know, you know, your typical sort of like, if you have an image of geeks fighting, you know, and they're doing like a little slap fight, you know, kind of thing. You know, it felt like that. It felt like it wasn't like a real, real um, action type film, you know. Uh, I don't I don't know what I would change about it. I mean, I'd change that I'd like to get two and a half hours back, but, you know. Um, it, look, the, yeah. there are worse things we could have watched like Lord of the Rings that goes on and on oh and I on love Lord on. of the Rings you behave no no Lord <laughs> of the Rings Harry Potter all these things they yeah. are my room 101s but no being serious uh, what I would do is probably I think it could have been cut down and made a tighter film yeah it would have it would have worked better I think it was a shorter film but hey it is what it is it spawned a load of, front of films that unfortunately started diminishing badly I've believe after the third one mm. um and it, people seem to enjoy it so hey we don't but as Gemma said at the start we don't have to necessarily 
review things we enjoy. I'm still suffering with post-traumatic stress from watching and reviewing Catwoman, and this one will just be added to the, to the list of, of them. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we had to watch a Christmas film there, didn't we? So. <laughs> yeah, but we did better, to be fair, we did better discussing this than Joanna and I did discussing Catwoman, where it was like, uh, yeah, what were you going to say? Uh, oh, God. <laughs> it was that bad. We were just like, uh, yeah. There's not really much else we can say to that bad. But no, at least with no. this, we've we found other elements that are okay. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And there was probably about 20 or 20 minutes plus of filler of who was in what other films and whatnot. So. <laughs> but also the good things, those the good parts. <laughs> <laughs> These actors can also be found in such yeah. and such. Yeah, Alan Rickman can be found at, uh, Jane, uh, in Dogma, in Harry mm-hmm. Potter, um, in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, I think it was that I said earlier. Uh, he can be found in so many more other incredible films, apart mm-hmm. from this one. Yeah, well, it led to the the running joke of like him saying they'll have line of "I'll get you, filling whoever it is, John McLean, Harry Potter, yeah. <laughs> etc., etc." Yeah, it's almost like a Scooby Doo line. Mm. I would have got away with it if it hadn't been yeah. for the children or the kids mm. or whatever. You pesky kids. So there well, you go. I don't know about you, but I think we have come to the end of discussing this quote-unquote Christmas film that we quote-unquote have... Debunked. I was going to say we've enjoyed, but no. Oh, <laughs> well, I've enjoyed elements. Like I said, to yeah. find out what everybody else has been in, and you've just enjoyed picking holes in it. In fact, you haven't beaten around the bush. You've nope. gone to the bush with a chainsaw, taken most of the bush down, covered what's left of it with petrol, and set it on fire. I did, but there was also, like I said, there was a couple of characters that I picked out of the bush before mm-hmm. I did that because there are, you know, like I said, there were some bits that I did like of the film, and that for the most part was the uh, the cop and who was on the, you know, the, who was speaking to John McClane mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the limo driver. And on that, bombshell, yep. <laughs> on that bombshell, on that bombshell, I know. I, th- I I would say I'll use the term you you also use, which is we've been talking of celluloid codswallop in this episode. I've been James. I am Gemma. Have a good one, everyone. Of course, have a nice Christmas. Yes. And feel free to watch Die Hard. If you wish, <laughs> as you wish. <laughs> That's a wrap, folks. <laughs> it certainly is. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.